Thanks, John. I think there's so often we leave here and we don't think about our boss or our neighbor or where we are. And then we wonder why the world is the way it is. Because they don't see hope in us. And they're not running to Jesus because it's not demonstrated. I would ask you to be praying for uh, Jamie Bustamante's mom is not well. She has cancer. Uh, Lee and Cindy, which would be Dale and Lori Grubb's brother-in-law. Uh, Lee had a stroke on Friday. Uh, they've airlifted him to Tampa. Um, I think in time to get, they did a procedure behind his ear to remove some of the pressure from his brain, but he still doesn't have a lot of strength and movement in his left side of his body. I think that's still from what Dale's communicating with me. I know Lee and Cindy would appreciate your prayers for thanking the Lord. They flew down on Thursday, and he had the stroke in Walmart on Friday. So if he'd have been in an airplane, that would have been, you know, bad to try to get him to a hospital and all that. So pray for Lee and Cindy. And then normally a second hour, uh, Gene and Joyce Durrance are over here. Um, we introduced you to their granddaughter uh, uh, the other day, other Sunday. Uh, I got a text message from uh, Gene last night that Joyce... Uh, has some type of mass on her lung that they want to be transferred to a lung doctor. So I know that Gene and Joyce uh, would appreciate your prayers. Uh, great guy. He's one of my favorite people just to be around. And uh, so please keep Gene and Joyce Durrance in your prayers. We have did get an update from Mike Young this morning, or late last night, Mike and Patsy. Patsy's the one that's in uh, doing the process of bone marrow transplant. Uh, the next couple of days will be the most difficult days uh, for her. Uh, there are now the side effects. Uh, everything is going the way it's planned, and then they treat the side effects as they go along the process. So please keep Mike and Patsy in your prayers. I don't know who sent a card. I know some of the children's ministry people sent cards. I know some of the Sunday school class have sent cards, uh, and their lives have been blessed by the cards. So if you've been one of those people, thank you so much for sending them. Uh, it's been an encouragement to, uh, to Mike and Patsy. So if you have your Bible, go with me to Matthew chapter 9. And uh, this morning as you're there at Matthew chapter 9, you're going to read uh, Matthew chapter 9 starting verse 27. And as you read the book of Matthew, just a quick reminder as we enter into the Word of God and time together this morning, Matthew's writing to a Jewish audience. Matthew's going to put things down because he wants the Jewish believers to say, yes, here's our Messiah. And so as you go through the Gospels, you'll see Jesus do some amazing miracles. And they're not just miracles just for coincidence sake. So, for instance, if you go to Isaiah 35, uh, pick it up 5 through 6. Don't you don't have to turn your Bible there, but I just want you to be aware of this. So, Isaiah 35, 5 through 6, the Jewish believer, Jewish people would have known this Old Testament passage of Scripture. They would have known that their Messiah was supposed to come, and if the Messiah came, he would, he, he would heal people's eyesight, he would heal people's ears, he would make the lame walk, he would make the mute speak, and he would raise people back to life. Now fast forward to the book of Matthew, pick it up in chapter 9, and Matthew's going to identify two miracles, blind men, mute speak, uh, in that process. And so as you see that, so we're going to see these two blind men, they're going to get their eyesight, you're going to see a demon-possessed individual, where Jesus is just going to remove the demon, the individual speaks. You're going to get a chance to see the Pharisees again. And in the midst of all of this, they knew this Isaiah passage, they knew Isaiah 35, But as they're going through life, Jesus is going to do a miracle, and they're going to be there, and they're going to watch it happen, 
But they're going to reject Jesus. They're not going to move towards Jesus. They're going to walk away from him. And then the last thing that you'll get a chance to see this morning is um, with Jesus, he is going to go and preach the gospel. And so on this slide here, it says, I preach as a dying man to dying men. It's very interesting as we think about church and Christianity in the world that we live in, there's a temptation for us to look at Christianity as basically kind of like the social. Let's meet the social needs of individuals. Let's go put in a well over here, which is not bad. Let's go do this and let's go do this. But Jesus wasn't about that. As you read in Matthew, Matthew's going to be very clear of what Jesus does. So I want to take you back to Matthew chapter 9. Let's go start with verse 27. I want you to see uh, this first miracle. First thing that you see. As Jesus went from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on me. Son of David. So before you put that slide up, because it'll, it'll be it's confusing, let me just do something. Let me just explain a little bit first. As you have 27, look, now think about this. Jesus went from there. He's already done some other healings. He's brought this girl back to life. He's healed the woman with the issue of blood. And you can keep on going back and see what God has done. And Jesus has done his miracles. But verse 27, as Jesus went from there, two blind men followed him. How do blind people follow I mean, it's interesting. As you read through this, just think, I mean, just creatively, just think. Two blind men followed him, calling out, have mercy on us, son of who? David. Where was the Messiah supposed to come from? Who's lying? David. So you've got two blind men following this Jesus. They're following somebody they've never seen before. But they've heard about this guy. And they know this Jesus, and so they're crying out to Jesus, have mercy, nothing about healing them. Have mercy on us, son of David. We know who you are. We believe that you're the Messiah. We know your name. We've seen the demonstrations of your power, and so Matthew is very clear here. So a Pharisee, as he reads through the New Testament, or a Jewish believer, or Jewish person, as they read through the New Testament... As they get to the son of David, they've got to stop and ask, is he the Messiah? Is he the Savior? Well, if, if they don't want to believe, now they've got to deal with the demonstration of his power. Okay, it's one thing just to say, have mercy on me, son of David. Isaiah says this Messiah is going to do some things. He's going to demonstrate his power. There's going to be authentication of this individual that that's the Messiah. He just doesn't walk out and say, oh, by the way, I'm the Messiah. They would say, no, you're not the Messiah. Old Testament says the Messiah will come and do these things. Okay, what is he going to do? So now look what happens. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him and he asked them, do you believe that I am able to do this? Do you really believe that I'm the Messiah? Do you think I have the power to do this? Look at their response. Yes, Lord, they replied. It wasn't just yes. It wasn't just yes, oh sure. Yes, Lord. So they're adding to it. The blind men have got it. They haven't seen Jesus. They don't know. They've never seen physically who this guy is. They've heard about him. They're crying out to him, have mercy on us. Would you help us, son of David? They, and Jesus pulls him aside. Okay, let's just make this real clear. Do you know that I'm the Messiah? You got it. Yeah, we got it. 
We know if you touch us, our eyes will be able to see. We believe what happens. Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, will it be done for you, to you? And their sight was restored, and Jesus warned them sternly. See that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him over all the region. Why did Jesus want them to know that he was the healer? Because Messiah was more important than being the healer. wasn't about recognition for Jesus. It was about eternal life with Jesus. The authentication that he was the Messiah is one, one illustration that Matthew points out that blind men see. Now, once you go to verse 32. While they were going out, men, where they're going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. Now, here's something interesting. These men were crying out, Have mercy on us, son of David. This guy can't talk. This guy has been brought to Jesus. So somebody else's faith is bringing this guy to Jesus. The guy that we have now is mute. He's demon-possessed. He doesn't talk. Jesus recognizes it. Look what happens. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. The crowd was amazed. Nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. Stop at verse 34. Demon-possessed man arrives. Jesus casts out the demon. The man speaks. And there's people that are there. The crowd was amazed and said, Nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. Never happened before. Now I realize when I get to this, this when you hear the word you know, demon-possessed. I want to do just a little bit of explanation for us sitting in here at Bible Fellowship Church if we say that we call ourselves Christian, okay? I'm going to put some verses on the screen, but for sake of time, I'm not going to give you, I'm not going to make you go to those verses, but if you want to know um, about demon possession, here's the first verse. I want to put, on, put up there is Ephesians chapter 1. You can go look at Ephesians chapter 1, pick it up in verse 11 and start down. Okay, start down. Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus. He's going to give them some instruction. All right? The instruction is gospel. You say yes to Jesus. You ask for forgiveness of your sins. Whatever age you are, whatever frame that is, whenever that takes place, whenever I get saved, Christian, Christian you know, terminology, the day that I get saved, I get a gift called the Holy Spirit. It's deposited in me as a guarantee of my inheritance of eternal life. Very important to know this when you think about the demon possession. Now, next verse. Show them, put up on the, we'll put the next one up. John chapter 15, verse 26. One of the most amazing things that happened was Jesus did not stay on this earth. He rose again and he went back to be with his father forever. That allowed him to give us a gift in John chapter 15, verse 26. And that gift is the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. If Jesus would have stayed, the Holy Spirit would have come. One more verse. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. It says this, Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Who's in the world? Satan. Greater is he who is in me. Who's in me? 
Holy Spirit, the gift that was deposited to me when I said yes to Jesus. So if I take those three verses, just for us, I know it doesn't really go with all of Matthew, but I want us as a family to be aware, if I take those verses, I cannot be demon-possessed as a Christian, as a Christ follower. All right? Now, what I also want you to see is, um, let's go on a little bit farther, verse 34. But the Pharisees said, it is by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. So the ones that knew Isaiah have no response for Jesus casting out the demons. They're not walking over to Jesus and say, wait a second, I want a relationship with you. I know the Old Testament truth. I know that you're the Messiah. You've demonstrated it powerfully. I know that the Messiah is going to cast out demons. They reject it. The ones that should have got it, rejected it. Do you see that? And you know what's so fascinating? What, if, what type of excuse, what type of a response to the crowd is this? You're the one that's supposed to have the answers and this is your response to the crowd? It's by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. Does that make any sense to anybody? The prince, so Jesus, you're the prince of demon, and because you're the prince of demons, you drive out demons. But you made the mute guy speak. You made the two blind men see. You raised somebody from the dead. Haven't you all been following this Jesus guy around? You're the Pharisee. So it's very important for us, sitting in here, Bible's open, one of the most important questions you can ever answer is, what will you do with Jesus, personally? I know what I've done with Jesus. And so as you grow in your, as you go along, day to day, week to week, year to year, what will you do with Jesus? There's going to be times that you're going to want to push back and say, you know what, I don't want to have anything to do with you. Now, this is where it gets exciting. Matthew says something in verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, and I want you to see what Jesus did. First thing that he did is he taught in synagogues. Well, what's a synagogue? A synagogue is a place where Jewish people went for instruction. So Jesus would walk into the established place, into the synagogue, and say, okay, here I am. I'm going to do some instruction. I'm going to teach. Jesus' ministry, and so as I was thinking about Jesus' teaching, I was thinking about his instruction. So what does it mean to instruct? It's to give information. Kind of like an instruction manual that I know none of you like to read, especially if you're a man. It must be stamped on our forehead or in our DNA, we do not need instructions. Just ask us. And you don't have to say amen out loud too loud now. <laughs> and so now, we know what part of Jesus' ministry is. Okay, I'm going to go to synagogue, and now I'm going to give you some information, instructing. So, as I was thinking about instruction, here's a verse for you. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my what? Witnesses. In Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. That's instruction. Jesus' words. When the Holy Spirit comes, you will receive power. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. 
Here's another one. Matthew chapter 28, 19 and 20. What does that one say? Go into all the world. Baptize, making disciples. Teaching others to follow instruction. That's what our responsibility is. He made it very clear. He's going to be with us all along. Last one that I want you to, just to be reminded about instruction. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All Scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful. So just stop there. Okay? Because there's a temptation for us when we read 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, that we don't actually allow it to be part of what we do in our lives. If all Scripture is useful for teaching, for correcting, for rebuking, for training in righteousness, we should be under its instruction. Now, here's the temptation. Paul writes to Timothy, and and Paul says to Timothy, okay, listen, I'm going to give you 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, where most of us know that passage of Scripture. But we haven't thought about 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 15. That's where I think the majority of the church in the United States of America lives. Lovers of self, lovers of pleasure, lovers of money, having a form of godliness and deny its power. Yeah, we love you, Jesus, but we deny the power, the gift that's been deposited inside of us. So yesterday, or last Friday night and Saturday, Susan and I had to be part, had opportunity to be part of that art of marriage. Okay. By the way, I have a list of people that were there. And um, quite a few of you men were not there. So in the years to come, we will probably do another one. And if you don't show up the next time around, I'll be calling you. I'm serious. Because I'm tired of people walking around saying, oh yeah, I love my wife, but we don't honor them at home. And I'm tired of people going to church saying, oh yeah, I love you, Jesus, but you don't care for your spouse. You don't serve And so what I'm thinking is as I, as I get older... I'm thinking, you know what, more and more men in the United States of America, in Highlands County, in churches in Highlands County, have a form of godliness, but they don't serve their wives. They'd rather love pleasure and money than to be sacrificial servants in the home. But yet they tell me they love Jesus. And then what gets really interesting is, then we'll use excuses that are 20 or 30 years old of why I act the way I act today. Time out. You have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you as a gift that's been deposited in you. And Paul tells you in Philippians, press on towards the goal doing what? Whining about my past for the rest of my life. Oh, poor me. No. Forgetting what is behind me, I'm pressing towards the goal because a gift is inside of me. It's the Holy Spirit of God. Gentlemen, that's our responsibility. Oops, my blood pressure just went up. I guess that's some years of letting it out. So I just let it all out. Now I'm okay. Okay, I'm not angry at you. But guys, I don't want our wives to have a smile on their face. I want our wives to be served and honored and cherished. Not because I'm a nice guy. Because Jesus radically changing me. I can't do this on my own. I am naturally selfish. I want to be unnaturally servant with the help of the cross. 
so, as you look at this passage of Scripture, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching their synagogues, preaching what? If you have the NIV, it says the good news. I really think it needs to say, New American Standard says it this way, and ESV says it. I, really, I like it the way they say it. Proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing. That's what he did. It was about the gospel. It was about him getting to the synagogue. It wasn't about him healing. Healing was great, but that's temporary. Those people are going to die. You bring somebody back to life, they're still going to die. You give somebody eyesight, they're still going to die. You give somebody the gospel, their life's changed forever. They've been rescued from death and deposited into life for eternity. They're with Jesus forever. There's no greater ministry than that. So Jesus is out preaching the gospel, challenging men and women, called to repentance, challenging men and women in the face of their sin, saying, I need a Savior. Challenging men and women that they're broken. Yeah, I can help you walk again. I can help you see. But that's not my passion. My passion is that I'm going to die on the cross for your sins and I want to spend eternity with you. Put your faith in me. Take your brokenness and bring it to me. And what's interesting is you have this little picture at the end of this. And most, and I had, I don't know why, but as I was reading this week, it was like, boom, here it is. Look at verse um, 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Because they were harassed and helpless. Like a sheep without a shepherd. Then he says to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. Ask the Lord of harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the fields. He saw the crowds. He had compassion on them. Why? Why do you have compassion? They're harassed. They don't have a shepherd. They're broken. They're empty. And so all these years we've been reading this passage of Scripture, Lord of the harvest, send out more workers. We're not going to send out any more workers until we come to the reality that people's lives are harassed. And they will not have hope until they have a shepherd. And I realized this morning that most of us have been reading the news, reading people's thoughts about what took place where these children were murdered. So we gathered on Thursday morning to pray. And I was sitting next to one of my missionary friends. And this is what he prayed. He said, Lord... Just sorry that the church in that county never saw that boy that was harassed. Lord, how many Christians walked right by that boy and never gave him the gospel? Lord, Church failed in that county. Because one individual in their brokenness never got to you. I left Thursday morning. I, I couldn't I couldn't talk. I'm thinking, what a perspective. 
And I started to think about it. I mean, I can give you verses. I expect people that don't know Christ to be broken. And in their brokenness, they're going to break people. Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 3. I walked once under somebody else's control. The prince and power of the air, Satan. But now that I have Christ, I walk differently. That's the beginning of Ephesians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 3, 5 through 9 gives us characteristics of people that don't have a relationship with Christ. Romans chapter 1, verse 24. He gave them over to their desires. So as we sit here this morning, have we thought about anybody that's harassed? Have we turned off our news? And I've been fascinated how many opinions I read on Facebook and then listen to people on the news, how they think they're going to fix the problem. You know what's so sad is? So far I haven't read one person say anything about the gospel to affect the problem. Not one thing. So maybe it's time for you and I to shut off that little flat screen thing, whatever you call it, or however big it is in your house. Shut the darn thing off. Turn your computer off and get on your knees before God and say, God, the only thing that's going to help people is the gospel. How do we do it? I'm tired of people being harassed. And I'm not going to expect somebody that's harassed by Satan to act like me. They can't act like you and I. They don't have the Holy Spirit. There's not hope. They're going to do what they're going to do. And until the Holy Spirit jumps, because think about how many of us have the Holy Spirit in our side and we still act like we're five. And you call yourself a Christian. And you say that you love Jesus. And you probably even brought your Bible. But you didn't open it much this week. But it's here. I'll make sure we look right. How many harassed people did we walk right by this week? Knowing that we can come to church and know that we serve a God that can take care of blindness. Know that we serve a God that has the power to cast out demons. But yet we're so busy. And if you're, if you're a golfer, I'm not here to okay? Because I'm playing golf this weekend. But how often we've been working on our golf swing and all around us we're harassed people. Or you spent time looking at your retirement plan. Or I don't live in one of these so I can say this. Your HOA society, they're not doing what you want them to do. And so you go to the meeting so you can get what you want done. And we wonder why the world's the way it is. There's no wonder. You push Jesus and God aside, that opens the door wide open for Satan. He's going to step in. And he's not going to heal. He's going to come kill and destroy. So get on your knees. Say, God, show me the harassed person. Give me some time with them. And if you see, don't walk up to them in your Bible and say, you're harassed. My preacher said, you're harassed. I can see it in your eyes. So here, you need to do this. No, develop a relationship with them. 
If you, if you love to play golf, play golf. But play golf with the purpose other than the score. Play golf like Kendall Griffin played golf. And I, I, I think she was about 10 years old, started playing golf. Now she plays golf for LSU. And I have a friend, his name is Shorty, Terry Crump. Terry loves golf. So he decided to watch people play golf. So he's just riding around watching these people play. So Kendall's parents said, hey, Terry, you want to go to supper with us? Terry said, sure. Terry goes to supper, orders his supper, starts eating. Kendall, I think she was either 8 or 10, I don't know exactly, taps him. Sir, we don't eat before we pray. Whoa. Okay. Because she said those words to him, Terry said yes to Jesus Christ. Ten-year-old. He said, hey, by the way, we don't pray until we eat. You're not going to eat until you pray. And, it, and it's God, and it's rad. What did I say now? Did I really mess it up again? Anyway, you're supposed to pray, then eat. I get my mind all together. I get excited thinking about Terry. So pray first at lunch. Tip well at lunch. Smile well at lunch, and then leave lunch. Okay, there we go. Oh, that bad. Now, Terry loves Jesus because a little person challenged him. It's easy for us to come and gather as a family and get excited about blind people seeing, demon-possessed people moving. We can be pretty judgmental of the Pharisees. But how many are Pharisees sitting right here? How many are sitting right here today that have a form of godliness but deny its power? And don't fool yourself. Don't play games. Don't give me your little church answers. Don't give me your middle school answers. You either love him or you don't. Either the passion of your soul or he's a convenience. And if he's a convenience, you're not going to spend eternity with him. We've been through that part of Matthew already. Many, many people will say, Lord, Lord, and he will say, I never knew you. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to gather around your word. I thank you how Matthew made sure that the Jewish people would know that Jesus is the Messiah. Thank you for healing the blind and setting the the demon-possessed person free and allowing them to speak. Thank you that you didn't get discouraged by the Pharisees and when they would criticize you, you just kept on going. You kept on going. You kept going because people's lives were harassed. And if they say, would, would say yes to you, they would never be the same. I'm not against your hobbies. I'm not against your fun. I'm for the gospel. So if you're a golfer, play golf. But ask the Lord to show you how you can share the gospel. If you love to shop, shop. You don't have to spend all your money, but shop. And when you walk past the person that's working there, engage in a conversation. Father, it's, it's easy to come to church. It's easy to sing. But now you're going to make it personal. Do we really love you, son? Do we really love you? Are we working for you?
Are we making sure that the gospel is being poured out of our lives? I don't know what the Holy Spirit's doing in your heart. If you don't know Jesus personally, if you've never repented, you've never asked for forgiveness, you've never fallen on your face and said, I need a Savior, there's no better day than today. That's why 2,000 years ago he came and died on the cross. You can go read it in every Jewish book, history book. It's there. What will you do with Jesus? What have you done with Jesus? For those of you that are living with a form of godliness, it's time to fall on your face in repentance and come to know Christ as your Savior. Father, give us opportunity to see the harassed. Give us opportunity to be able to share the gospel. Give us the opportunity to see the broken. Give us the opportunity to see the ones that don't have a shepherd and introduce them to you so they would have life. They would have hope. They would have eternity. Father, thank you for allowing us to gather the family around you. Now take your word and drive it deep into our soul and so so deep that we actually, actually act out of what we know the truth of Scripture says. In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen.